Welcome, adventurers. It is with great joy that I get the opportunity to recognize my first Natural 20-tier patron, Carolyn Carney. Thank you so very much for your support. Your belief in me during these early stages means the world to me. And now to the tale at hand. Settle in, listeners, and travel with me to the lands of Gloaming Keep. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon A crisp chill hung in the mountain air, winter's stubborn grip on its futile war against the strengthening spring. The cold, clear air amplified the brightness of Sol's late morning light. Although snow could still be seen on the high peaks, the remains of the mountains were verdant green and filled with the life and hope of spring's advance. Sol had just crested the high ridge to the east, and its light was quickly erasing the long shadows that the trees cast over the path along which the stranger walked. The path was two carts wide and consisted of hard-packed stone dust. The stranger's feet made soft crackles and crunches as they fell carrying him steadily onward, ascending the path towards his destination in no particular hurry. The stranger's footprints were not the only ones in evidence. On the contrary, the path was a mash of footprints both humanoid and horse. The parallel lines of wagon wheels cut through the jumble, and all these scuffs and marks revealed the recent passing of a large host. The stranger lifted his head and looked further up along the path. The white mist of trees releasing their morning breath hung just above the canopy, but further on the blue sky was marred by something else, the grayish-black smudge of smoke. It was not the smoke of chimneys, but that of destruction. The stranger cast his eyes back to the way ahead, his steady pace unerring. He would be there soon. Mela sat in an unmoving crouch, hunkered amongst a collection of wooden barrels stacked against a stone wall. The stench of rubbish in the alley was strong, but Mela was long since used to it, and now it registered in her body as more of a location than an offensive scent. It was the dead of night. Arjun had not yet risen to cast its silvery light down upon the narrow streets and alleys of the old town. An average creature could see nothing much past its hand under the current circumstances, but this was not the case with Mela. In the absence of light, Mela could still easily see for sixty paces or more, though colors faded with the passing of the light into the contrasting browns and tans of sepia tones. Mela's attention was focused on the back door of Hortava's tavern. The raucous and body noises of the night's revelry no longer spilled out the door, nor had it for over half a bell. Mela's stomach growled in anticipation. It wouldn't be long now before Hortava himself stepped out that door and dumped the partially eaten remnants and near-spoiled leavings of the day's food into the refuse crate. Whatever she could find amongst these cast-offs 
would constitute her one major meal for the day. Sometimes she would nick an apple or a potato from a vendor stall in the market, but she did not like doing it. Besides the fact that even to this day, she had a pang of regret taking food unpaid for from farmers. Mela did not like the risk, however small, of being caught and drawing attention to herself. Mela's stomach rumbled again, louder this time, and then, almost as if in response to the call, the back door squeaked open and outstepped Hortova. A few rough shakes of the bucket, a few tired mumblings, and his work was soon done. Mela waited for the door to shut and began to count. Upon reaching five hundred, she slowly stood, letting the blood return to her legs. She quietly wriggled her way out from her hiding spot and walked slowly with muted steps toward the bin. When she had passed some twenty-five paces from her hiding spot, and with another twenty-five paces still to go, she froze. From over her shoulder, she heard the scuffles of feet and the erratic sound of drunken voices. Mela slowly turned and saw the shrouded shapes of a small group of humanoids at the end of the alley. Mela remained motionless. They would pass soon enough, but then a shiver of fear shot through her body as the squeak of the tavern door opening broke the alley's quiet. The smell of burnt wood and the less familiar sickly smell of death was strong now. The stranger's steps carried him into the village, passing what remained of the first small houses and buildings. They stood like a row of rotting and broken teeth. Most were burned down to their foundations, but the stone walls of some had only partially collapsed, leaving jagged angles protruding upward. And then, with no pattern whatsoever, a house or building would stand untouched, as if it had no idea of the destruction which had been visited upon its neighbors. A few paces more, and the stranger began to see the first bodies. A tall man, the pieces of a pitchfork split in two, still clasped in each hand, face unrecognizable from a fatal mace blow. A teenage girl, and what might have been her mother, still holding hands in death, trampled face down into the road. A little further along, a dog lay with a boot still clasped in its bloody maw, a javelin driven through its side. Though the stranger had seen this thousands of times before, he still felt a distant sorrow. After ten thousand years, he still did not see the purpose in these acts. What was their value? Why would one slay another in this fashion? He had read much of the writings of man, dwarves, and elves. The writings made it seem as if these species considered themselves to be more than animals, enlightened and possessing a free will. But in this context, the stranger saw little difference between them and the slain dog. Were they not both pack animals, defending or expanding their territory? But he was here to witness this event, to keep it in his infinite mind, to record all manner of things so that when the end came, he could be called as a witness to give an account of the world's existence and its passing. He finally made his way to the small town square near the center of the village. The echoes of this morning's events drew him to this place. The stranger could sense that it started here. 
His eyes surveyed the devastated ruins, toppled carts, and slain villagers. They fell upon a small body, face down and strewn over a broken crate. Three long strides carried the stranger to the body. A mass of wavy brown hair obscured the child's head, and a large wound lay diagonally across its back. A deadly blow delivered as the child fled. The stranger kneeled and gently reached out to take hold of the body. He then respectfully turned the body over and cradled it in his arms. It was a girl. Her large brown eyes were still open in a blank stare. The stranger reached out a hand to pass over her eyes, the lids closing with this act. I ask but one more thing of you, little one, came the stranger's wordless voice. Share your end with me before you rest. He reached out his hand a second time, laying his palm against the child's forehead. The stranger closed his eyes, and when they opened, his perspective had shifted several feet below his normal height. He could feel the cold morning air on her small body, and then a shiver came from fear, not cold, as ten or more warriors in full armor and mounted on terrifying large horses pounded into the town square and came to an abrupt stop. The horses chomped and danced as the soldiers looked around. One of the warriors wearing a red sash raised his hand. At this motion, another wearing a red scarf tied around his left arm urged his horse toward the center of the square, stood in his stirrups, and shouted in a loud voice, Who is in charge here? Bring them here, now! Much less gracefully or quietly than Mela would have preferred, she made a quick move to the closest wall and pressed her back to it. From her new perspective, she could see the barrel-thick form of Hortova shoving a figure into the alley with one stout arm, holding an iron-wrapped club in the other. This is the last time, Borvin, Hortova scowled. The coppers that you and your cohorts bring into my establishment are not worth the unending string of trouble that seemed to come with them. I don't want to see that boot leather you call a face in my tavern ever again. The figure spun and drew itself to full height. The man stood at least a head taller than Hortova. Scraggly hair and unpleasant face glared back at him, and for a moment it looked as if he would attack. Hortova raised his club to the ready, and the man seemed to reconsider. An awkward pause followed, and then Hortova stepped back through the door, slammed it shut, and the scuffles and scrapes of the door being barred from the inside could be heard. The man stood for a second, then kicked dirt at the door and shouted, Go fuck yourself, you old man! Laughter burst forth from the group lurking at the end of the alley, followed by the taunt. What's the matter, Borvin? Grandpa spanked ya! Another gale of drunken laughter. Borvin turned to the group. You can all go fuck yourselves as well! More laughter as Borvin began to walk unsteadily towards the mouth of the alley and his drunken friends. Mela held her breath. He will pass. He will pass. He will pass. She repeated over and over to herself in her mind. When Borvin was less than a pace away from her, he came to a wobbly halt. He placed his hands on his knees, leaned forward, and retched, emptying the contents of his night's drinking 
onto the already foul ground. Mela shut her eyes, her lungs beginning to burn from her trapped breath. He will Her eyes popped open as the stench of Borvin's hot breath could be felt upon her face. What have we here? Borvin drawled, his bloodshot eyes staring down at Mela. You waiting here for Borvin, love? His disgusting face was bent with a wanton smile. Mela turned to Bolt, but with a shocking speed, his cruel hand lashed out, grabbing her by the throat. Now did I say you could leave? I am the current head of the Council of Elders for this village. A gray-haired woman stood facing the soldiers, straight-backed and head held high, though it was obvious she was intimidated. The village of Erdavan is a peaceful village of farmers. We make tea and raise goats. We want nothing of your war. The square was now filled with an entire regiment of soldiers. Supply wagons could be seen on the main road parked just down the hill. A small crowd had gathered along the edges of the square, curious to watch the event, but scared to come closer. The soldier with a red scarf tied to his arm nudged his horse a step closer to the woman. The village of Erdavon provides tea to the Prince of Holmglen? His question abrupt. The elder's face flushed. She said nothing. The scarfed soldier turned to look at the one wearing the sash. Sash nodded. The first soldier pulled a scroll from the saddlebag and unfurled it, and read in an overloud voice meant to carry to the ears of all watching. Anyone found providing aid to the Prince of Holmglen in the form of weapons, military aid, food, or provisions shall be considered an enemy and traitor to the Gravenish Empire. The punishment for such acts is death. I hereby further authorize any with the rank of captain or above in the service of this empire's great army the power to determine whether or not these crimes have taken place and to administer swift punishment. Sign this third day of hail in the 247th year of the empire. By my hand, Emperor Estremont Gravenish, second of his name. The soldier rolled up the scroll, placed it back in his saddlebag, and turned one last time to look at the soldier bearing the sash. A final nod of the head. In one motion, the soldier who had just finished reading the proclamation drew his sword, stood in his stirrups, and brought down a massive blow. The gray-haired woman collapsed like a rag doll. Screams and cries came from all sides. The world became a jumble of noise and motion. Torches were lit. Anything that moved was cut down or rode over. The air smelled of smoke and terror. Some very few tried to fight back, but farmers with pitchforks and machetes are but wheat before trained soldiers. The stranger felt the body of the girl through whose eyes he watched stand and leave the place where she was crouched amongst some barrels. Her little feet churned below her, trying with all of their might to carry her away from the square to safety. Then the loud clattering of hooves on cobblestone, a surge of pain, and for a moment airborne, until crashing into a crate. The muted brown color of wood pressed into her face began to fade, replaced by an expanding white light. It seems as if Mela is in grave danger, but do not abandon all hope. 
there is more to her than we have yet seen. And what other mysteries will the stranger uncover in the ruined village of Erdavon? Join me next week for the conclusion of Hidden Among Barrels. <laughs>